You're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today we are talking about the role of training and launch and commercialization. And you may wonder what training is so special about. Well, listen to this episode because it's kind of a super weapon. So how can training be a super weapon? Well, training helps you to connect with many, many people. And it helps you to build trust. It helps you to advertise for your services. It helps you to become known. And ultimately, it helps you to be in the room where the decisions are made. And that is what we will talk today about. So stay tuned for this really, really good episode. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. There's also a launch and life cycle special interest group within PSI. And that is really, really helpful for every person that works in this space. So if you're interested, head over to the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities, other things, and become a PSI member today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Effective Statistician. I'm Jenny Devonport, and we're going to do something different today. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing Alexander Schacht on uh, the topic of developing and administering training for non-statisticians. Uh, we got to talking about this a lot through our work with the new SIG in a PSI organization, the SIG is dedicated to statisticians working in the environment of launch and life cycle. That is bringing a newly approved drug all the way to patients and what kinds of evidence generation and other activities statisticians can contribute to that are really valuable. And one of these is training so that everyone understands the data and the methods that were used um, to bring this beautiful product to life. So, uh, Alexander, would you like to say a few words to start? Yes, thanks so much for the introduction. It's, it's really nice to hear someone else saying all these words. Yeah, training, I think, is a really, really interesting topic. I always, you know, when I went into pharma, I thought, well, yeah, of course, we'll do some kind of stats training. And I was always kind of thinking about the stats training that I would, you know, do at university, kind of. What is a t-test? What is actually a test? What is a p-value? All these kind of different things. And over the time, I realized that's surely not the best approach to just kind of copy and paste what I, what I did at university to the pharma world. And I learned that training not only helps you know, the people in the audience, but it is an awesome tool for me to improve my influence in the field, build connections, build networks. And so I leverage training quite a lot 
across my career, during my career, in many different occasions. And most of the time, actually, I didn't call it training because training has this kind of bad connotation, especially stats training. Who wants to go to a stats training? As if, at least if you're a non-statistician. <laughs> Definitely. And so how did you get started providing training for non-statisticians? Were you asked? Did you offer? I actually... I don't know, maybe both, yeah? There was uh, some stats training anyway going on. And mm -hmm. so I participated in this. And then there were also requests coming because people didn't understand kind of the phase three data they were asked to, to talk about. Yeah? And mm -hmm. people came and asked, oh, can you help me with these kind of things? What, what, what does that mean here, this hazard mm -hmm. ratio or... Here's this new methodology that everybody talks about, MMRM. MMRM yeah. at the time was kind of, you know, it's a big new thing. And, um, uh, oh, we are not using LOCF anymore. Oh, we are now using MMRM. What, what's the difference, actually? These kind mm -hmm. of things were, were really kind of uh, important at the time. And it was a lot of one-to-one -one training, but then also, oh, there's these questions that everybody has. So um, let's let's go into that. There was one specific thing that I got involved in that was a journal club. Uh, mm. I really loved these. It was a setup in the German affiliate of mm. a, a big company. And um, that company had a couple of different products in neuroscience, uh, one of which was a huge blockbuster antipsychotic. And so there were about don't know, 12, 15 medical scientific liaisons together with their lead physician. And whenever they had a meeting in the office, yeah, a regular meeting every month or so, they would also have one hour a journal club where they go through two publications and talk about it, what it means for, for them, how they can talk about it with the uh, key opinion leaders. And um, one of the MSLs would give a kind of medical uh, update on it, and I would do a statistical methodological critique of it. And I loved it because it was very, very engaging, lots of good discussions about these things. And um, yeah, I learned quite a lot about how to communicate about statistics effectively. So there's a couple of big topics that you introduced there, and I'd like to break them down a little bit. So the first is, um, of course, that usually the people that are going to be talking about the phase three data and their implications are not statisticians. Yes. So can you talk a little bit more about what they're interested in and why they need to understand the statistics? So, yes, uh, you know, if you think about kind of the ratio of statisticians to non-statisticians in pharma companies uh, that actually talk about this research, yeah, it's probably something like one, two, one thousand or something like this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you think of all the sales reps, the marketing, the medical people in the affiliate, in the regions, in the glo at global level, yeah, and global up you know, the fewest of these, for, for big products or therapeutic areas, these can be, yeah, thousands of people. And they have the challenge that they don't directly usually have access to a statistician. 
that they need to talk about the data in their day-to-day job. An MSL yeah, talks uh, with key opinion leaders and has long conversations with these, you know, some, sometimes an hour or even longer, uh, to talk about uh, some new studies that are coming out. And of course, they get challenged on you know, anything that looks new or looks different or looks surprising or isn't in some way, shape or form not in line with what the key opinion leader expected. Mm-hmm. And so if they are not confident, yeah, they cannot really explain it in a well in, in a good way. And that doesn't build trust then between the different people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, if imagine you would be, you know, uh, going to a key opinion leader, a world expert on XYZ, and your job is to, t- to talk about something that you don't really feel comfortable talking about. This is a miserable situation. Yeah? And so these people really have an interest to understand all the details, the ins and outs, so that when they get challenged by uh, customers, they can conf- confidently provide an answer. Yeah. So they have a really, really big interest to understand all of these. Same way, kind of, if you think about marketing people, yeah, if they want to provide good marketing material or if they want to understand what are the strengths and limitations of the studies from the competition, they also need to understand why is that study different than our study? Yeah. Is that, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Yeah. Uh, what are the consequences for us? Do we need to write our claims differently? Even will we get into trouble? Kind of, uh, you know, could we be accused legally? Yeah. For something like this, or vice versa, could we, you know, accuse our competition legally because they, you know, overstate something? All these things depend very much on methodological, statistical questions. And therefore, it is really important for them to understand the ins and outs. The other thing um, that I think would be great if you could touch on is what these interactions between the statistician trainer and the non-statisticians can teach us statisticians about what's important. Yes, yes, very good. So the first is I learned quite a lot about what's really on the mind of the people that are in working in the field, that see customers every day. Yeah. If you work in your global or kind of statistical ivory tower, you can very easily get detached from what's really happening. What are the real questions? Yeah. You may think that's pretty clear and straightforward. It may not be that way. Yeah. You may think like this analysis where we impute everybody that is a non is missing as a non responder, that's clear and easy. No, it's not very often. Yeah. And there's lots of very, you know, minor details that can play a big role, kind of uh, in exclusion criteria or study lengths or things like that, that you might not actually see as a topic. And talking to these people firsthand helps you to understand these. And then you can bring that back to and and make sure that everybody understands it. Because if you have talked to, you know, 
three different MSLs and they all have the same issue, it's probably a wider topic that you should address globally, yeah, mm -hmm. so that everybody uh, understands it. The other point is I also get much more aware about the competition. What mm -hmm. are they doing? Yeah, you get to see kind of marketing promotional material from them and you better understand how our business actually works and operates that's one of the the key things and finally i learned a lot about what works and what didn't work in terms of explaining statistics okay so you talked a little bit in the beginning about you know people have questions about the phase three trial so let's say you're a statistician that has just completed their phase three program and they're in the heat of label negotiations, and they know they need to, to give this training to the field. How do you decide what topics to cover? I think that's an excellent question. So first, I think it is important to have a look into what is your overall strategy of your compound? Yeah, mm -hmm. What are the key strategic things in your data that need to come across really crisp and clean? Yeah, let's say your compound is better in terms of a certain safety aspect. Yeah, then everything around the safety aspect needs to be very, very clear and crisp and, you know, clearly described. Everything that is, you know, somehow controversial, yeah, mm -hmm. is really important. And there you need to listen quite a lot. Yeah, you need to listen about. What is discussed, for example, at advisory boards with key opinion mm -hmm. leaders? What are the challenges that MSLs have? What are the questions that, you know, the physicians that you're working with have? What are the things that they, you know, find it difficult to explain? All these topics are good topics for, for, uh, for training. Mm -hmm. And as I said, most of the time, you wouldn't call it training. <laughs> you would call it kind of explaining the results or kind of uh, getting to know you the data better or something like this. Good. And when you give a training like this, what kind of feedback do you usually get and how can you then follow up on that? Yeah, feedback is really important. You, I think you get a couple of different kind of clusters of, of feedback. The first is you get feedback on your material itself. Yeah. Was it clear? Was it crisp? Uh, you get feedback on what is missing. Yeah, You will get questions about, yeah, you talked about X, Y, Z, but our competition did it a different way. Why, why did they do it that way and we not? So that helps you to kind of add to these things. You will also get over time, you know, this, these kind of things are not completely stable. Yeah, There's, there's mm -hmm. always new evidence coming. There's always kind of new challenges coming. And so you'll get an update on what are further topics that you need to uh, speak about. You'll also get that different areas in the world will need kind of different things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for example, could be that your label in the US looks different to the label in, in Europe. Mm -hmm. And that may have consequences in terms of what you can actually speak about, what mm -hmm. you can you know, even train people about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's all kind of different local uh, regulations around the world in terms of how you can talk about different things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you think, for example, um, how you can train sales reps in Canada, 
has very specific kind of rules. And you need to know about these rules, or at least know someone that knows about these, so that <laughs> you're, you're, you're staying compliant. So you learn a lot about these kind of things as well. And, and so, so what I'm hearing is these, these trainings really need to consider the audience's perspective, the competitive environment, sometimes even the legal environment, if there are differences uh, anticipated in different jurisdictions. Um, that's a lot to think about. Yeah, and the, and the overall strategy of your compound. Yeah. yeah, I think for me, training is part of an overall communication strategy. Yeah, so you communicate and communicate here. I really mean in kind of two ways: you 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 talk and you you know send information, but you also receive a lot of information. Yeah, mm -hmm. and training is part of that. Training is you know when we think about communication, we mo mostly very often think about just publications, yeah, mm -hmm. posters, abstracts, papers. Mm -hmm. But there's much more to it. Yeah. There's uh, key opinion leader engagement. There is, you know, trainings and training in all kinds of different forms. Yeah. Like FAQs, videos, short kind of write-ups, in in-person events, journal clubs. You can even think about, you know, new mediums like podcasts or something mm -hmm. like this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a lot of what what happens in terms of communication, and also kind of listening. What are all the needs from the different affiliates from the regions? Uh, what is happening in the in the competitive space? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You need to have a good kind of communication again, kind of speaking and listening. Mm -hmm. uh, process overall and training is one of the key key factors there so what i'm hearing is that just publishing a methods paper uh to explain your trials may not be enough yes <laughs> <laughs> can, can you talk a little bit more about that and why you know a multi-channel approach um is really needed sometimes yeah uh, to to have really good robust communication you need to understand that kind of theory of communication what you think is not what you say what you say is not what is heard what is heard is not what is understood and what is understood is not what is acted upon yeah so <laughs> there's there's this whole kind of chain where and at each step it can go wrong yeah <laughs> And so you need to make your communication channel really robust to make sure that everybody gets a message and mm -hmm. not just once, many times. Yeah? Mm -hmm. If you think about change management within your company, there's this rule of thumb that you need to talk about something important seven times mm -hmm. before Everybody heard it at least once. <laughs> yeah. So just because you published a method paper doesn't, you know, ensure anything. Yeah. It gives <laughs> you credit to your CV, but, and it's a nice basis for further <laughs> kind of things. But to be honest, by the time you have published it, it's probably already too late. Yeah. <laughs> so um, think about all the different audiences. Yeah, think about how you will reach them. Yeah, and lots of them you'll not reach directly. Yeah, <laughs> you'll reach through kind of train the trainer approaches, for example, 
or through asynchronous communication like, you know, video clips or slide sets or documents or all kinds of different things. Yeah. So think about the whole kind of communication cascade from you, know, you as a statistician, let's say in a global team up to the local sales rep in Greece or wherever. Yeah. How do you reach all of them? Yeah. And uh, what do they need to know? And also then the other way back, how do you listen to all of them? And how do you get the information so that you can adjust it? And so for me, I think whenever you do something in terms of, for example, a publication, not just think about the publication itself. And here I'm thinking of kind of, let's say, a primary paper of your phase three study. Think also about all the training and communication that goes together with it, that should go together with it. Yeah. So if you present, let's say, your phase three data at a conference first time. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And for me, that is absolutely critical time in the launch because mm -hmm. this is where you give the competitions the opportunity to critique you. Mm -hmm. You should be really, really well prepared for that. Yeah? You, at the moment you, you publish this data, you should have the whole kind of communication cascade in place so that everybody up to the well probably at that time not sales rep but at every msl everybody in the organization has access to all the different questions they might ask yeah mm -hmm. so that's you know very often you'll have this kind of press release that gets out and you know unfortunately lots of people will only hear about these data through this press release. Mm -hmm. yeah? Lots of people in your competition will, you know, know better about the data than, you know, the people in your own company. Yeah. Because it's a real shame. It's a complete shame. Yeah. It, and, and imagine kind of this, this poor MSL from your company that, you know, two weeks later goes to a key opinion leader and wants to talk about this data. But unfortunately, The MSL from the competition was there two days before and already critiqued it. Mm -hmm. Yeah? What a bad situation. What just a wasted opportunity. Yeah? yeah. So if you have this kind of opportunity to have the first mover in terms of sharing your data, capitalize on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Make sure that everybody in your organization understands all this data that you have, you know all your training communication uh, laid out so that, you know, you can explain the data, all the strengths, all the limitations, what it means in comparison to the competition, what they, you know, might come up with. Anticipate all these kind of things and have this cascade completely kind of planned out and ready to go at the time of phase three um, publication. So and okay. here I'm really see phase three so data release. For review, you're developing a training. Who should attend? How should you target a bigger audience all at once? Should you grow it over time? What's, you know, what is the reason maybe to pick one strategy over another? I would, I think I would probably go with some kind of combined strategy. 
Yeah. So probably you will have something like a much bigger kind of, let's say, WebEx, Google Meet, whatsoever your company uses, where, where everybody around the world, yeah, gets to kind of know about the data. Yeah. And that probably is a very short call. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you'll have lots of people around the world that not just work on this compound but lots of compounds yeah think about the person in you know the marketing person in italy or greece or spain they may be responsible for this compound but for five others as well they don't have the time to you know spend hours and hours on training on it yeah because they have lots of other things so so there you need to have short and very very kind of to the point communication Then you have other people like, let's say, the certain physicians or, you know, uh, marketing people, persons that work on reimbursement that much more kind of fully dedicated. For these, you can have uh, additional kind of meetings where you have, you know, more content, more in-depth. You have maybe, you know, Q&A and things like this. And these will be people that will be, in a way, multipliers. Yeah, yeah. these are other people that the the local sales rep can go to and ask. I heard this half-hour presentation. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you'll not be able to answer all these questions. Yeah, think about the ratio that I given you earlier: one to one thousand. Mm-hmm. If one thousand mm-hmm. sales reps call on knock on your door. You'll be quite busy. <laughs> yeah. So, so think about how we can, you know, enable others to talk about it effectively. And you know, Jenny, you mentioned that uh, earlier discussion we had. It's, it's kind of you need to be ready to pass on the baton to to mm-hmm. others. Yeah. You need to give others the keys to the statistical kingdom. Yeah. And let them go with it and equip them as good as possible so they can explain it to others. Yeah. No, it's a it's a really important point because we have to remember as statisticians, uh, we typically spend the majority of our time, say 80, 90 percent of our time within the confines of our company. Yeah. Um, you know, accepting congresses where we may go out and present data. And so the people that are going to be interacting directly with customers the most need to have access um, to the most important information about the trials. And so when, when we say, you know, we're giving you the keys, we really are giving them, giving over a lot of the, the rigorous control that we've had to date on that study to somebody else um, to do their job to help make sure that people can make the right decisions uh, in the field about uh, when and how to use these new medicines. So it's a, it's a really interesting thing. What we should talk a little bit about, you know, kind of tactics in training and, and what works, you know, do you do a lot of video trainings? Do you make slides? Do you, how do you go about making sure that people understand the methods and their implications for the data? So I think the first is you need to be, whenever you give a, a training, yeah, understand first about what do you want to achieve? What are your goals? Mm-hmm. And there are two, two sides. What, do you, what are your goals for yourself? Mm-hmm. 
What is kind of the networking opportunity? What is the influencing opportunity? How do you want to come across? Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is, what are the goals for the audience? Mm-hmm. Then second, where, where is the audience? Yeah, mm-hmm. Is that an audience like a small group of you know, expert physicians at a global level? Or is that, you know, a very heterogeneous group of people from global affiliate region from different functions that you train maybe at a conference? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Think about where they are and think about kind of what exactly they need to know. How do you get to that? One of my key tactics is to Mm co-create. I love it. Yeah, so so instead of you doing all the work, pick someone from the audience and do the training together. Mm -hmm. So maybe, you know, if you go give it to a group of global physicians, pick your favorite one and ask whether you want to do it together. Mm -hmm. Or you do it at a conference. Pick one of the MSLs that you like to work with and ask Mm -hmm. whether you do it together. That way, you while preparing it, you can make sure that it's it's appropriate for them. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, you get so much more credibility. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's one thing if a statistician talks; it's a completely other thing if a peer talks. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a, it's also a great way to make sure that the the appropriate message is getting through. Um, yes. is if anyone can explain it, you know you've succeeded. If only the statistician can explain something correctly, you haven't really done a good job of training. You haven't succeeded in passing over the keys. Exactly, exactly. However, that might not always be possible. Yeah. So, so maybe you have a you you are asked to to give you know a presentation or training this afternoon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In these kind of circumstances, I'm usually doing something more kind of flexible. Yeah, so I I would walk into the training and first kind of capture what are all the things you would like to get to know from this training. Yeah, and then I you know go around the room. Best is to start with the most junior person in the room and then you know ask all the others. What do you would like to get out of this training? What are your main questions? And you can write mm-hmm. them all down on a, you know, on a flip chart or if it's uh, virtual on a, on a screen and then kind of cluster them. Yeah, you'll see kind of mm-hmm. what are the main topics that people want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, go from there and explain them one, one, one by one. That's a really good point in terms of, you know, appreciating the scope is if you have a thousand people, they're not going to have a thousand different questions. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then the the other thing is in terms of tactics, always follow up on things. Yeah. So maybe there is um, an open question that you didn't have time to answer or you didn't have the data, data to answer or it was about something like, Oh, how is that compared to this study from the competition you have never heard about? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Follow up on these things. That helps you to build credibility. That is where kind of afterwards people say, yeah, that training by Jenny was really, really great. I absolutely can recommend it. Yeah? Mm-hmm. That's where you, where you get all the benefit for yourself. 
Because after the training, you would be in a, you want to be in a situation where you haven't just kind of trained the people, but you mm-hmm. also have increased your influence while mm-hmm. building trust, while showing your you're caring for the people. You're showing mm-hmm. your someone that can actually explain things, someone that mm-hmm. has competence, yeah, mm-hmm. and someone that has character in terms of following up on things, you know, being reliable. All of these things will help you to build trust, and mm-hmm. this help, will help you, you know, to follow up on other things. Yeah, mm-hmm. that I've been in lots of situations where you know these kind of trainings have opened me new doors to new opportunities, mm-hmm. to maybe be invited to local opinion leader meetings, or mm-hmm. to you know behind the doors discussions that I wasn't even aware about happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you, you know, maybe there's a marketeer in the room that says, hey, he really knows all the data. Let's bring him into this meeting where we talk about kind of our next promotional campaign. So he can explain us, you know, what data best to use and what is other, what are the other things that are possible. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of positive things that can happen to you personally as well, not just kind of nice things for the audience. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a really important point is that this does help build your brand potentially more than just having your name on the analysis plan well, that this is really an opportunity to bring the data to life in a way that the people who, who struggle to read the analysis plans may not otherwise see. Um, and that's really important because they will remember you. The field people tend to be on those products for a very long time. Yes. Um, Whereas the medics that led the development program may move on to the next product very rapidly. And so they won't be there to say, Alexander did a great job. You should bring him in again. Whereas these MSLs will remember you and will ask for you by name. Yeah. And I would say 99.5% of the people in, the, in your audiences here will actually have never seen an analysis plan. <laughs> Exactly. So I think I think it's really important to again broaden broaden the audience of people that is aware of, of what has gone into being able to substantiate this evidence. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you wanted to highlight in terms of uh, training for non-statisticians? I think the the key for for you as a listener is to think about what would make it possible if you do this really really well. Yeah, what were, what will you personally get from it? Mm-hmm. And think about all these different things. That way, you will see. You know, training is not just an additional to do. Mm-hmm. It is one of the one of the ways how you can massively increase your influence, mm-hmm. and also massively increase your exposure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Imagine kind of your, you have kind of very, very senior people in these audiences. Yeah. I once gave a training at a European opinion leader meeting and the president of the whole European, you know, organization of the company was in that room. Yeah. That helped me to build a really, really good relationship there. Yeah. 
he would kind of, you know, I once was in a, you know, standing in the, in the lobby of the German affiliate and, and he was uh, there kind of coming from a meeting, hurrying to the, to the airport. And he saw me in the lobby and said, he, he stopped, came over to me and we had a, a 15 minute chat yeah? mm -hmm. uh, while his, you know, taxi was waiting outside. Imagine these kind of people to talk, you know, they are maybe higher in the organizations than your VP of statistics. Yeah? Mm -hmm. They can help you to open doors that your VP of statistics can never do. Yeah? So there are a lot of opportunities in these, in these trainings. Think about them. Definitely. I think that was very well said. Um, thank you, Alexander, for, for being uh, open to this uh, different role in this podcast. And I really hope that listeners will consider what they can do to uh, seize the opportunity to train uh, non-statisticians on their phase three data or on other, on other data problems to help them do their jobs better. And of course, to help the statistician uh, raise their credibility. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain, who helps with the show in the background, and thank you for listening. Reach your potential, lead great science, serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.